Hey, Buzzkill's quick show note. This episode you're about to listen to was recorded live from Netroots Nation in July of 2023. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. It's very exciting to be here. Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that reminds you there are now more alt-Twitter options than there are actual abortion clinics in America. That's an that's actual number. It's an actual number. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I am joined by my delightful, delicious, delovely co-host, Moji Alamodeo. Hello, Netroots fam. It's the last day of Netroots, and we have a lot to cover. Joining us live, Pamela Merritt, Executive Director of Medical Students for Choice, will be joining us to talk about the alarming decline of med students training in states with crappy abortion bans, but can you blame them? Not really. We're also going to be talking about defunding the moderates. Yes. <laughs> just, you're just not doing great. But we're also going to talk today about fake clinics. Uh, there are these miserable anti-abortion centers that are just out here in these fact-free streets, running a grift, trying to convince abortion seekers to keep their pregnancies no matter what. You may know about them, you may not know about them, but we're going to drill down on the history of them and then what they are up to now. When we get to that, we have a lot of story about these places, including one woman's story of being told at one of these clown clinics that her pregnancy was totally fine when it was anything but, and how she's fighting back. That's right. Plus, we dumps the latest repro news on you, so let's get to that right now, Moj. Woo! Because the best gift to give someone with limited options is even less options, in the year since the end of Roe, the National Domestic Violence Hotline reported that there's a 99% increase in abuse and reproductive coercion, and not just in states with abortion bans. This fact surprises no one who's been paying attention. One of the most prevalent causes of death for pregnant people is being killed by their intimate partner. But when the state says your body's not your body, abusers find it really easy to wholeheartedly co-sign. Indeed. Idaho? No, you Idaho. We do love that joke. Thank you. <laughs> Activists in the Russet Bell State filed a lawsuit against one of the most egregious abortion restrictions to come out since Dobbs. Idaho's abortion trafficking law forbids helping a person under 18 attain abortion pills or leave the state for abortion care without parental permission, including prohibiting, quote, recruiting or harboring a minor. You know, all that abortion recruiting like giving directions to a clinic or driving someone to pick up pills or saying the word abortion in the proximity of a minor at any point, at any time, Oh my gosh, okay, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it. Also, anti-abortion activists acting wild. A growing movement in anti-abortion extremist groups is co-opting the term abolition, you know, the crusade to free black people from slavery, into the crusade to hunt down and punish pregnant people who get abortions. And you may think these ersatz abolitionists are fringe outliers, but they're currently serving in slate legislatures and rapidly shifting to the mainstream. In Kansas, Louisiana, Missouri, South Carolina, Alabama, and several other states, lawmakers have proposed abolition bills that make having an abortion a felony, punishable by life in prison or even the death penalty. And you may think this can't be popular, but let's be real. If appropriating the phrase abolition is the best you've got, you're not sitting at the cool table. No, you are not. <laughs> uh, checks calendar for current year. 
checks calendar again. Oh my God. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed eight bills that ban child marriage, repealing the law, making cohabitation of unmarried people illegal, and changing several laws related to child marriage. Michigan Republicans are challenging the law, saying shotgun weddings are covered under the Second Amendment. No. <laughs> That is not true, or isn't it true? Unclear. But here's what's really awesome about America. As of July 2023, that would be now, six states have no minimum age for child marriage, two states have a minimum age of 15, and 23 states have a minimum of 16. So nailing it, America. That is today's news dump. Oh, well, let's get to our (laughs) You don't have anything to say about child marriage? I mean, child, like, it's... It's a terrible idea. Wow, that is a hot take. Fucking sucks. (laughs) Also, like, we're just getting to this? I know. This is what I don't understand. It's like, also, the the fact that that would be, like, 6 and 2 and 23, and what is my math here? 6 and 2 and 23, that would be, oh, I don't know, 31 states that effectively allow people under 16 to get married to creepy, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Seems like it's not a recipe for good things. All right. Should we get to our big story? Let's get to our big story. Set us off, Liz. All right. I'm gonna. So, as I billboarded earlier, we're talking about fake clinics. Just in looking in the room, how many of you are new to the term fake clinic? Anybody? Oh, my God. We have a team of amazing people people in this room. Well, for those of you listening at home, they're like, fake clinics, what does that mean? Well... They are fake abortion centers that are deliberately located near reproductive health centers and abortion providers and purposely use similar names in order to confuse patients visiting clinics seeking abortion care. These facilities create websites that appear on inline searches that look like legitimate abortion providers but are anything but just to lure people in to convince them solely for the purpose of A, not only keeping their pregnancies, but really damaging and giving false information around what abortion access looks like. Now, the reason we're talking about them is A, an abortion access front, which is, for those of you who don't know, the producers of our podcast, Moji and I both work there. We have a program called Exposed Fake Clinics that is uh, really working hard to elevate what these people are doing and what these clinics are doing. And since Dobbs, they have grown at an alarming rate. And also, one of the things that we're going to dive into a little more, but they seem sometimes to be these little mom and pop shops, but usually they are funded and managed by huge national, well-funded organizations. And again, all they do is oppose abortion and offer medical disinformation and work as hard as they can to keep people who may want real options or other choices from at all accessing abortion. Right. That's sort of a broad, like, these places suck. What do they actually do, right? We're going to get into some specific stories in a second, but both Moji and I were lured in by them in different points of our lives. I, at 16, pregnant, high school, you don't want to tell anybody, so you're freaked out, right? So I'm riding on the bus, and I see a sign that says, pregnancy tests, choices, options. And like, I'm 61 years old, and back in the 1970s when this happened, pregnancy tests weren't available. They were brand new. They cost like $25, and so the only place you could get a pregnancy test was one of these places. It wasn't just pee on a stick and everybody's quiet. Um, So I went when I was on the bus, and a person came out of a door wearing a lab coat, and this is one of the techniques. It is a layperson in a lab coat 
pretending to be a doctor. Doctor cosplay. Doctor cosplay. And then also pretending to be a person of God, right? So they, they give you the pregnancy test, they tell you results, and then they bring out a book version that's about this big of the same posters that you see outside of the clinics, you know, all of that fetus porn that they have, and then they go through that this is what you will be doing to your baby if you have an abortion. And I was so freaked out, and I was like, well, is there a place that you can recommend for abortion? And they said, no. The only options that you have are mommy or murder. And so, there, yeah. And so, Modiano, yeah. you've had an experience Yeah, also. my experience was different. I was 24. I was post-college. I was in New York, midtown Manhattan, one of the most liberal states in the country. And I found myself pregnant. I knew from the minute I suspected I was pregnant, I didn't want to be pregnant any longer. And so, again, one of these signs, pregnant, need help. Uh, so I followed the sign. I went to this doctory looking place in, again, midtown Manhattan uh, and took a pregnancy test. And I was like, okay, it turns out I'm pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. I'm interested in the abortion pill. I have no idea why I knew about the abortion pill in like 2004, but I did. I was like, I would like the abortion pill. And they were like, Ooh, we don't have them, but come back next week. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure. People run out of things. And I left. And then I called a week later and I was like, Hey, have you gotten your abortion pills yet? And they were like, oh no, you should come in. And I was like, this is terrible customer service. I'm calling a hospital. And I got my abortion at a hospital. That's yeah. the end of the story. Um, but we have been tracking this for such a long time. And we know stories of people who have gone in and been told to put on, take off their clothes and they put on a hospital gown and they have their clothes taken away and their phone taken away. So they're trapped in an exam room without their belongings. And then these people lay into them about, with, with non-factual lies, abortion causes cancer, abortion causes infertility, abortion causes mental illness. And then they shame you for being a sexual person. You know, it's a place where people who need help are going to seek guidance, advice, anything. And they prey upon them in the most horrific ways. And I also want to get into how they place themselves near existing clinics and use all the taxes they can to lure people into them, even if they're right next door. We were in Minnesota a few years ago, and a woman had just had a child. She was seeking abortion. She had an appointment at the real clinic. On her way into the clinic, some of these antis grabbed her, pulled her into the clinic, kept her there for like a half hour. And she was like, I have an eight-month-old. I know what parenthood is. I know that I don't have the capacity right now for it. They kept her there for a half hour. She almost missed her appointment. And so when she'd finally gotten the abortion she needed, she was like, can someone walk me past these people because they're scary and I'm afraid. And this is not compassionate care for anyone. At that same clinic, it's right across the street from the actual clinic. Part of what we do at Abortion Access Friend is we go and help clinics do stuff. And we were planting their gardens for them and, and doing some upkeep. And when I sat down in the lobby to get on the Wi-Fi... I clicked on the Wi-Fi, and the first thing that popped up was a Wi-Fi called Don't Kill Your Baby. So their Wi-Fi was stronger than the Wi-Fi at the clinic, and so that's what popped up. And if you click on these unsecure Wi-Fi, a lot of times the fake clinic can then get your data if it's a pineapple, and so that person can get tracked by the fake clinic and send them text messages that say, did you kill your baby today? This is the kind of shit that's happening. So this is the emotional reality of how fucking terrible they are. Let's talk about some specifics that have happened since February of this year. 
Yeah. So one story we read, which is terrifying, a nurse, an anti-abortion nurse, she's a, a Christian, and she was like, you know what, in my downtime, what I want to do is volunteer at a fake clinic and let women see what's in their uterus when they think they're pregnant so they can use a sonogram to see the beauty of life. So she started working at this clinic. She took an online sonogram class sponsored by the clinic. And while she was doing this sonogram... Can I just say stuff, one thing? Yeah. Anybody can take this online sonogram yeah, it class. Was you online. don't have to be a nurse. You can no. be a, just a regular person on the street who takes their online, online. sonogram class yeah. and then is qualified to do ultrasounds on people. So this nurse was doing transvaginal ultrasounds, which you may or may not know means it's inside Yahoo. And while she was doing these, she realized that there were some problems with the disinfectant they were using. There were two main problems. One, the antiseptic they had um, was known to be ineffective in killing the HPV virus. The HPV virus causes 90% of cervical cancer. And so this that they were sticking in people's vaginas was basically not sterile, possibly passing HPV along with other possible infections. But also it said on it, it was for external use only. It was not even meant to be used internally. It was expired not for internal use, and they were using it for people. So she got a little freaked out because she was an actual nurse. So she was like, well, someone has to do something about this. And she talked to the people at the fake clinic she was working at. She looked into, she tried to go as far as Kentucky licensing, but these places are not regulated. They don't have to be licensed. They don't have to be licensed. They cover under the professional licenses of the people who volunteer there if they have professional licenses. But there's no one to come in and say, guys, stop using fake expired disinfectant. Guys, stop sticking things that are unsanitary into people. It's a little terrifying. This story, why do we not all know this story? Right. Right. Is it because sexism, because white supremacy, because the media doesn't want to really elevate and push this? And because why we all here might know about fake clinics a little bit or hear this, the media, politicians, they don't know what's happening. Even the right-wing politicians, they literally think these places are providing some kind of maternity care for people. And so that's why it was so important for us to really tell this story. Now, this person, I don't even know where this case is going. And it's really hard because a lot of times, too, this is not isolated. People having harm experiences at these places happens all the time. But so often when people are seeking care, they can't report it. They're in a circumstance where they can't report it. They don't know who to report it to. Maybe they continued their pregnancy and they live in a circumstance or in a circumstance where anybody finding out they might have sought out questions about seeking abortion care. It might be harmful to them. And so, or you just don't think about it as a 24 year old college educated yes. person in a liberal state who had told my mother I was seeking abortion care. It never even occurred to me to be like, this place said that they had abortion pills and they didn't have shit. I just went on with my life. And I think it was years before I heard about fake clinics. And I was like, oh shit, that's where I was. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they were doing. Yeah. There's nobody talks about it. We don't know statistically how bad the harm is, but we do know in some of these anecdotal places where people can come forward. And there's a very cool woman who has a case who, same thing, she was pregnant. Wanted pregnancy. Wanted pregnancy. Um, she was like feeling some feelings about her pregnancy, found a clinic through an online search, thought it was a legitimate medical facility. It was a place called Clearway. She conducted an ultrasound and diagnosed that the pregnancy was viable and in utero. Uh, the woman was not seen by a physician. 
despite being given paperwork upon discharge that said her care was provided by a doctor. A month later, she had a terrible shooting pain in her side, and it found out she had an ectopic pregnancy, not a viable pregnancy. And it had ruptured. Yep. In her fallopian tube, had to be removed in emergency surgery. She's filing a class action lawsuit, thank God, because she could and has the privilege to do so. Right? So if you're wondering how the fuck is this shit legal? <laughs> like, how do they get to exist? <laughs> it makes no sense. So actually, California was like, wait, this is terrible years ago. And they were like, um, we're going to pass this act. We're going to pass the Reproductive Freedom, Accountability, Comprehensive Care, and Transparency Act, the FACT Act. And basically what this act was supposed to do is make it that these centers just had to say, we're not a medical center. We don't provide health care, but there are places in the state that do. And the center, the place, the National Institute Family and Life Advocate, NIFLA, which is what the case is named after, basically was like, this violates our free speech rights, and we're going to object to this. And the Ninth Circuit in California said, oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. This is, uh, this is terrible. Yeah, this, isn't, this doesn't violate your First Amendment rights to not tell people that you're a medicalized place. But, of course, we live in America. And they took their case all the way we to the We live in Clarence Thomas's America. <laughs> Clarence Thomas's America. They took their case all the way to the Supreme Court. And Clarence Thomas penned the mm -hmm. decision that it basically said, yeah, it does violate their free speech rights to say we are not a medical clinic when we are not a medical clinic. They basically said, Dr. Cosplay, perfectly acceptable. That is a right you have. As long as you're not providing actual medical care. But <laughs> for the untrained person, these fake clinics, if it says ultrasound, pregnancy test, STD screening, that sounds like medical shit. You can buy all those things at the dollar store, but you don't think about that shit, right? So they slap on a lab coat, serve up that shit, and Clarence Thomas says, yep, you get to do that. You just get to pretend to be a doctor all day long, every day in a fucking place, and that is the America we live in. And I want to like talk a little bit about the taxes, but I really want to get to Pamela. Let's get to Pamela. Okay. Yeah, we've been talking for So a while. your ta tax dollars pay for a shit ton of this and have for decades. Just so you get an indication, um, hundreds of millions of dollars have dumped into these places since the 1960s. And it's only growing now, post-Dobbs, because these politicians who are ill-informed either A, are moderates and don't fight to stop it, or B, are conservatives who think they're providing actual care, but to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars now. And they think that they're replacing actual abortion providers, and we're in a mess. So if you want to do something about it and want to learn about it, you can go to exposedfakeclinics.com, which is our website, gives you opportunity to help uplift and raise. There's 97 of these fake clinics in the state of Illinois, you know, a state that is actively expanding access to care. Um, this shit's crazy. So now it is time for our guest. She is the executive director of Medical Students for Choice, leading a dynamic team supporting the future abortion providers and pro-choice physicians in over 29 countries across the globe. Please welcome Pamela Merritt. Yay! Oh, Pamela, we are so excited to see you. Hello. 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 All right, so we are about, I'm just going to jump right in, we are about a year out from Dobbs and a metric ton of abortion bans and criminal penalties for providing care have been raining down. This has greatly affected how OBGYNs are providing care and where they are providing care. Can you talk to us about what you've seen? Oh, gosh. So yes, I'm happy to. And thank you, as always, for having me on the show. So... What I've seen is an absolutely horrific man-made catastrophe that only benefits this 
relentless cause for white supremacy. So what we have now is communities where doctors don't know what they're able to do. Hospitals are unsure what's legal and ethical, where genetic counseling programs are uncertain of how to operate because they most of the tests they're giving are at the 15-week mark, and where a lot of people are waking up to a reality that activists like us and myself have, have really seen developing over the last decade, but is new to them. And I've come to reconcile with the fact that there are people who aren't aware that this public health threat is happening. So it reminds me a little bit, um, I like to fall asleep to Ken Burns documentaries. So that, yeah, yeah. I mean, prohibition. You can is, just wake up and it's only like about an hour and a half. Yeah. His documentaries are in real time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. it's like, oh, I just fell asleep and they just went, the, the warriors went to bed. I'll just wake up when they are awake. Exactly. I mean, it's fantastic. So prohibition is one of my favorite and it really does mirror the crisis that we're seeing now, people who were sanctimonious and thinking of themselves banned abortion and really didn't think about the fallout. And then now they're trying to say, well, that's not what I meant. But I don't know any hospital in the state of Texas that is going to take a risk with their license and their ability to provide health care to the community based upon what some legislator said. Well, I didn't mean that. So as a result, we have some of the most restrictive treatments of abortion law. And that means that on June 23rd of last year, they would have gotten miscarriage management. They would have been able to get counseling on a non-viable pregnancy. Most importantly, their bodily autonomy, the pregnant person, would have been told how they can maintain their future fertility. Now, that's not even a discussion. It's not about whether or not you're going to be able to have future pregnancies. It's about whether you're going to survive. And people are being sent into um, parking lots hemorrhaging. People are traveling via air flights to get care out of state while they are in miscarriage. And those feel like the extreme versions, but I can't tell you how lucky we are to even have those narratives because there are, there are things happening that aren't being told that we know are happening because of public health statistics that that's what wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning. But it's, it's awful. It is absolutely awful. And as somebody who is, you know, guiding and helping support physicians, people potentially wanting to go into care and providing care, mm -hmm. this isn't new. I think people need to understand that this isn't new and that med students have not been getting full training, full stop, way before Dobbs. And the statistics of how ill-trained, because of the lack of med schools providing care, is astounding. And Pamela, I wonder if you could just like lay out some of the data on how little training there is and has been. Oh gosh, yeah. Medical Students for Choice, which is the organization I lead, was founded in 1993 because uh, the anti-abortion terrorist who murdered Dr. David Gunn followed that up by sending a cartoon to a bunch of medical students all over the country that basically said, if you continue to pursue medical education and abortion, you're going to end up like Dr. Gunn. The result was different than what they were trying to spark. They wanted to terrorize these medical students. But the medical students were like, first off, 
Hell no, I'm not going to be Taylor. No. And second of all, I don't even have really good abortion education and training. I'm, I'm taking incoming with freaking death sentences, but I, we're not even getting this. And what happened was <laughs> that Roe was decided in 1973, immediately followed by a 50-year temper tantrum from the anti-abortion movement, which was so hyper-politicized as basically a continuation of the, the Southern strategy that it became undesirable for medical students to step into it. There is absolutely no logical reason why it's not a part of accreditation. It should be part of the core curriculum. Medical students learn things that are far less common than abortion. Abortion is more common than major dental surgery. So when you're thinking about, well, why should they? Because I can't think of any medical condition or, or area of specialty where you don't have to consider whether or not the patient may be or may want to be in the future pregnant. I mean, I think maybe prostate cancer. But other than that, I'm thinking like people have to know whether before they can give you treatment for most things, whether or not you are or may soon be pregnant. One in three people will seek and have abortion care in their lifetime who are uh, capable of pregnancy. So the fact that it's not part of the core curriculum shocks a lot of people. It's worse than that. Because it's not standard of accreditation for medical schools, there is no core curriculum. There's no common expectation. There's no standards that you have to get. So if you have, you go to med school at a Catholic affiliated medical school, you might learn that life begins at conception. You might learn that birth control causes cancer, which is a lie. You might learn the Catholic dogma, not medicine. And if you go to a really, you know, normal, I hate to say that, but normal medically sound medical school, you're going to learn a robust, medically accurate curriculum that will help prepare you, regardless of your concentration, to be a good provider and in improve the public health. And so, as a patient, you're not going to know the difference until you're there. Yes, you will not know. But what I remember from, you know, back in my blogging days, I talked to one woman who was a lesbian who went to an OB-GYN appointment in California and was told that she was going to have to have surgery. When she was talking about the post-surgical care, the doctor didn't understand how lesbians have sex. So wasn't giving her medically accurate information about what she could and could not do with her partner after having a, a surgery or after having a condition. That's something that was not taught. So when you think about what doctors aren't getting, that impacts the care that they can give. And now more than ever, I'll just say, when you have abortion bans, you have people seeking information from all kinds of doctors. So like people tend to, at least I do, tend to seek medical information from the doctors I'm most comfortable with. So that would be my allergist and my therapist. So they need to be used to and comfortable hearing conversations from, I trust you. What, what is the abortion pill? Why do people keep talking about two medicines? And every single doctor, every MD should be able to answer that question with confidence in a medically accurate way. And Pamela, I just want to also say too that because there is no like standard of training, mm -hmm. there are medical schools that you would think are great medical schools that the abortion training is sometimes a 
one-time webinar mm -hmm. or a pamphlet that you get, mm -hmm. and that is considered some part of training. So mm -hmm. they can say they're trained. Yes, and this to me is a wonderful example. Like, I love my job, and I love my job because I center med students. I get to work with amazing, incredibly inspiring people who are fighting, literally fighting. They join Medical Students for Choice to fight and advocate for more training and more education. They're already at med school. They're exhausted. And they go to additional training. So to get the abortion training and family planning training that they need, they have to take electives. And I'm not talking about just Catholic-affiliated schools anymore because Dobbs happened. We're talking about the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Right. We're talking about major systems. And in the state of Texas, I don't think that's even possible. Because how do you travel out of state to learn about abortion in a state that has a bounty if you travel out of state? Right. I actually, I just, in sort of prepping for this, I was like, oh, Senators Tommy Baldwin and Patty Murray um, from Wisconsin and Washington have recently introduced Reproductive Health Care Training Act, which in theory would allow $25 million a year for med students to leave states with the restrictive abortion laws to train in other states. Now, this sounds great in a like lemons out of lemonade kind of way, mm -hmm. but do you see this pushing the needle in ensuring that we have more med students able to, mm. you know, be energized around providing care or just learn, getting the training that they need? We are in a training crisis. Right. And a training crisis means that we're about two years out from a provider crisis. We're already in a provider crisis. The United States has a physician shortage, and it is particularly felt in rural and suburban areas. This only made it worse because now you have literally the regionalization of OB-GYN care. I think the last match was in March. We already have data from, and a match is when medical students match with a residency program. We know that in, in huge, like over 15, 20% of, of medical students did not even try to match in a state with an abortion ban. That's not just medical students who want to go into obstetrics and gynecology. Right. That's medical students who don't want to live in a state where if they get pregnant, they do not have the right of bodily autonomy. And that's a lot of med students. People are in their prime reproductive age when they're residents. So, you know, we're already in a crisis. I think it's a crisis response, mm -hmm. and I respect that. We need crisis responses, and we need a strategy. Right, right. And it feels like, again, I get so annoyed that whenever there is a kernel of something that seems positive, <laughs> Democrats, liberals, everybody's like, oh, great. Okay, we have a th okay, we're going to now take a 75-week vacation because we did a little thing, right? And we have to stay on it. And I think that when, when we think about this, Pamela, and I want to talk to you about this because you and Moji and I talked about it earlier before the pod started, and that is things that seem reasonable within this bullshit moment celebrating these South Carolina people who are pro-life, but they will agree to a 12-week abortion ban or a 15-week abortion ban and emphasizing and giving language, especially for progressive and democratic folks like at this conference, like I've heard people say to me things like that, that they think that seems like reasonable. And can you just speak to the fact that no abortion ban is reasonable? Liz, no abortion ban <laughs> is reasonable. 
nor are they medically accurate, nor are they medically necessary, nor are they going to make the freaking conservatives happy and invite you to play on their kickball team. Abortion compromises are a big lie. They are an absolute horrific lie that only serves the dark side. And in what feels reasonable, what I think it's, it's an examination that, that the lefty needs to have. If a lefty feels that a compromise is necessary, then they need to examine why they are uncertain about abortion. Why do you not believe that abortion is popular when one out of three people will have one? Why do you not believe that the public, when messaged on abortion, will respond? And I really do feel if they do that exercise, they'll realize, oh, wait, this is an issue that should have never been wedged, that was never a fringe, that should have been front and center for the last 50 years. But now we have an opportunity to build something. Yeah. And I also just want to say, why do you believe that there is a moment in a pregnancy, Mm -hmm. whatever week you want to put on that, Mm -hmm. that anybody gets to take away the agency of a human and insert the government there or insert anyone else there? I mean, that is the thing for me. That's when I hear people say it is reasonable Mm -hmm. at 12 weeks or 15 weeks. I was like, why would it be reasonable ever Mm -hmm. to say At this moment in your pregnancy, you are no longer in control. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also to me, like, how do you pick that moment? And then also, why are you scared to do the work? We don't compromise out the gate on so many things. If you even say the word Medicare and compromise, people will go the hell off. So why do we even start there? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Pamela, Oh my God, you always give incredible advice and information. And I'm so glad that med students have you to be guiding them in these times. Um, Tell people where they can find you. You can find me, Pamela, on Twitter at SharkFu. And I'm pretty sure I'm on threads at SharkFu and Blue Sky at SharkFu too. And um, you can find Medical Students for Choice at msfc.org. And we're on Twitter at MSFC, and we are out there in 30 countries supporting medical students and getting abortion training and education. Also, Medical Students for Choice has a petition asking the Liaison Committee on Medical Education to include abortion in all U.S. undergraduate medical education curricula. And you can go to their website, msfc.org, to sign up. That is correct. Pamela, thank you so much. Have a hand for Pamela and Mary, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you so much. So good. All right. Let's see. Are we moving on? We got more. We got more to say. Well, yeah, we got. Well, yeah. You know, it's time to uh, try to stump the band. And the, by the band, I mean me. Mm, that's right. We're gonna do the. It's abo- six degrees of abortion. It's- For those of you who follow the podcast, you know it's a very fun game we do every week, where Moji chooses a story that is seemingly not about abortion in the news. And then she throws it in my face and tries to stump me to see if I can connect it to abortion in six guesses or less. So, Moji? If you listen to us, you'll know that everything is about abortion, and this is just a shell game that I get stuck in. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That is, wow. Okay. It's the best shell game. All right. So, because I'm in my sports ball kick this week. You hate sports ball, and you think you can stump me with sports ball, and you cannot. I'm trying. All right. So, Naomi Osaka tennis champ, Grand Slam champion, just welcomed 
her first child, Sky, uh, S-K-A-I, uh, a few days ago. And so, uh, Liz, I'd like you to take a little moment and link tennis to abortion. That's a sports ball, right? It's a sports ball? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to take it in a odd direction. Mm. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Um, the direction I'm taking it in is Billie Jean King was a tennis player. They made a film about the Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs face-off. Sarah Silverman played the um, publicist for Billie Jean King in the movie. Sarah Silverman is a supporter of Abortion Access Avid supporter of Abortion Access Um, I opened for Sarah Silverman on tour this year. While I am not abortion, <laughs> I've had an abortion, so I'm going to go with, ooh, did I do it in six? Billie Jean King to Sarah Silverman to me, yes. to my abortion. I did it in four, it. everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Moji. Oh, it's always fun. Good job. I have stumped her like twice. It's happened. Yeah, but it was before. like the weirdest shit ever. I'm it's a 61-year-old like white lady, and it's... she's like, so underground <laughs> hip-hop artist, blah. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I'm not, not, not stumped by that. I did a radio show with Chuck D for two years. I do know about, but I don't know about any kind of new hip hop. I only know about like political hip hop from the nineties. So Chuck if it's D. about Rakim or D. about, <laughs> about dead press, I can fill you in, but like I'm useless on pop culture. Anyway, oh my God, is that our show? That's our show. Do we have questions? We have yeah. a little bit of time where we, we can. Have a little um, bit of time. If anybody has any questions about anything that they heard, last chance at Netroots. Last chance, and Pamela's here too. Maybe she'll pop back up for some questions. Oh, oh. there you go. Okay, we have one. A hand went up in a Five Minutes Buzzkills T-shirt. The question was: Are there any states or medical school programs that require? abortion training in their programs. And it was specifically for residency programs, right? So that's a great question because medical schools are not required to have abortion and family planning training, but residency programs for OB-GYN are. And that's because ethically, if somebody's life is in danger, you have to be trained to save their life. The devil is in the details because we have several states that have made it restrictive for people to travel out of state for abortion. That includes abortion training. So if you're in Texas and you're in a residency program, they're supposed to accommodate you traveling out of state. But we don't know yet how they're doing that. This has never been an issue. This is not, this was not a concern pre-row. So it's, this is something that was not anticipated. And some of the best obstetrics, um, OB-GYN residency programs in the country are in the 14 states that have banned. So we're kind of in a wait and see to see if they try to meet the accreditation. And then the other wait and see is to see whether the accrediting bodies take accreditation away. Wow. So we're in the wild, wild west. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know the the amount of new shit we had to like never thought would smack us in the face because <laughs> yes. it was like oh well that was never a thing before is astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is about the Kentucky case that we spoke about earlier about the woman who was using creepy disinfectants on that and what happened with the whistleblower case on that. So I would love to know more about this case, but it turns out I'm the only person interested in hearing about it. And so I could find the one article about it. And that was it. This um, The article I, I got, the initial one, was in February. And so I was trying to find some follow-up as to what the state is. I know that she 
uh, I didn't go into all the details, but she had gone as far as the state of Kentucky Mm -hmm. to say, like, what can you do about this? She'd also reached out to the larger organizations that supported the clinic, the larger anti abortion clinics uh, organizations. And basically everyone was like, "Uh, we can't do anything. So uh, who knows? Yeah. And I would say we would invite her on the podcast and I think we should try to invite her on the podcast. But because she came to this place because she does not, she believe well, it abortion. abortion. I don't know if she'd come on the podcast, but yeah. it's worth an ask. And I think it's important to, for yes. us to try to follow up. So I will promise you that we will try to follow up on that. Thank you. I'd like, um, I'd like to add that what you can do is there are crisis pregnancy centers, fake centers where you live. You know, I love Kentucky. It's a neighboring state to my home state of Missouri. And it also shares the fact that it gives tax dollars to these fake clinics. One of the best things you can do is protest out in front of a fake clinic. I do it when I have free time in Missouri. I just take a lawn chair, a sign, some water, and and I have all the time in the world. I go through emails and I can literally interact with people who are shocked to learn that that's not a real health center. That's right. So I think helping your neighbors understand the danger is the thing you can do. And it is a great fulfilling experience, particularly if you've ever done clinic escorting and been frustrated. You don't have to keep your mouth shut. You can talk, do it. That's our show. Thanks again to Pamela Merritt and to you for listening. Subscribe, like, and show some love with a five-star rating. We need you to help us spread the love and stay connected with us on social media at Abortion Front. Let's make a difference and have some fun doing it. Now, Are you looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Well, you know, we got a five-part activist series called Operation Save Abortion. Check out OperationSaveAbortion.com. And while you're there, visit the super cool activist calendar, which is chock full of opportunities on a local and national level for actions and educational stuff. We're taking a two-week break to recharge our batteries for the marathon ahead, but we'll be back at it on September 8th when we'll have Katie Quinones from the Women's Health Center of Maryland and from Idaho, comedian Emma Arnold brings the funny. Also join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. So pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Raymond Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Finally, we leave you with clinic protester and Operation Save America bot, Joshua D. Wilson, a man who's showing his whole ass and all the clumps of cells that make it up. You can say that it's just a blob of cells to help your conscience all you want. But the fact is, is that we have 3D imaging and 4D imaging of ultrasounds now. And we know without the shadow of a doubt, it is not just a blob of cells. If you want to say that, technically we're all blobs of cells. Really. Our bodies are all made up of, of components and cells that allow each body part to work with our brain the way we want it to. That's just basic science. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.